Yes. Today's reading is John. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, Matthew. It's Matthew, isn't it? I've got Matthew. Oh, it's. Oh, so oh, so um, John twenty. Fair enough. Ah, thank you. And its verses. I took the whole, the whole, the whole chapter. No, right down. Fair enough. Here we go. Jesus heals the man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. The Pharisees investigate the healing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. I've lost the place. Uh, Here we are. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, 
I was blind, and now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, No, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this he replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This is the word of God. Thank you, Muriel, for reading that very long passage at such short notice as well. Um, I was sent John 9 by email from Michelle. She's not here to question why, so we'll just go with it. Let's pray before I start. Father God, may I speak words of truth and love in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we've just heard in today's Gospel reading, um, it's the story of Jesus restoring sight to a blind man. Now, there's a host of inspirational people who just happen to be blind that I could talk about this morning. Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Andrea Bocelli and their music. Um, The Impressionist artist Monet was blind. And, of course, Louis Braille, the inventor of the system that's helped so many blind people since. But there's another person who some of you might have heard about called Helen Keller. Her inspiration towards others is found in the way that she dealt with not just being blind, but being profoundly deaf as well. With the help of a tutor and a friend and almost a mother figure called Annie Sullivan and her incredibly patient approach, Helen learned not only to speak, but to read Braille, to write and play music. Her progress astounded her family and her friends. She became known for delivering inspirational speeches about overcoming obstacles, and she summed her life up with this. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. She's also accredited with this quote, I, who am blind, can give one hint to those who see. Use your eyes as if tomorrow you were stricken blind. Now, in our reading today, we meet a man who is blind. Now, blindness in the 21st century can be challenging enough, but it was much worse back in Jesus' day. Today, someone who's blind can have some hope of living a more fulfilling life with the right help and some training. Braille, which I've already mentioned, for example, opens up opportunities for people. Some of the most skilled and creative people in our society are blind. I've already mentioned some at the start. But 
In first century Palestine, blindness meant that you would be subject to complete poverty. You'd be reduced to begging for a living, and you would live at the mercy and the generosity of those around you, of other people. And unless your particular kind of blindness was self-correcting, a cure was pretty much zero. There's not much hope whatsoever for a cure. The skills that were necessary to cure some forms of blindness were still beyond the medical knowledge of that day. So little wonder that when one of the signs of the coming of the Messiah was that the blind should receive their sight. When Jesus announced his ministry, he said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to recover sight to the blind. I want to make three observations this morning, suggest three things um, that have come to me from this gospel reading in relation to blindness. The first kind of blindness that I want to think about is is the physical blindness of this man who was born blind. The blind man in this gospel reading was unable to see, and so he was consigned to this life of begging. We hear this in verse 8, where people ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? But maybe he could see or he could sense the bigger picture That if he came to Jesus, he might know some sense of healing. And this ultimately was was a gift of faith which moved the once blind man from darkness into light in so many different ways. Much, much more than just the physical healing. Of course, if he was physically healed, he would have to change his whole lifestyle as begging had presumably become part of of who he was. But despite all this, he was not put off. He was not deterred in his faith in Jesus when the Pharisees later questioned him about what had taken place. Others may have told him to just shut up and be quiet, including his parents, who were more worried about the consequences of their status in the synagogue than what had actually happened to their son. Not the best parenting example to have on Mothering Sunday. Yet the man could see that Jesus alone was the answer to his life, to the point that when they met again later in our reading, the the man fell down and worshipped Jesus. Do we always hang on to this, this truth? That despite what life throws in our way, Jesus can be the answer to our problems? Or do we just retreat? Do we just stay quiet in the way that others expect us to be? A bit like the parents before the Jewish leaders. The second kind of blindness that I want to think about this morning is the blindness of the disciples. Now, the disciples, of course, could physically see, but in this case, they could not see clearly the will of God. If they, if they had been aware of what Jesus intended to do, apart from questioning the fact that he spat on the floor and rubbed mud in the guy's face, I'm sure that they would have eagerly helped instead of, of questioning what sin caused the man to be blind. 
but healing a blind man, well, this was way outside their experience. And in verse 32, we find this situation summed up in another way. Never since the beginning of the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. The disciples did not have experience of this. And the Pharisees and those around didn't really show much compassion or understanding either. They tried to shut the once blind man up in a similar way to the, the way that the crowd treated Bartimaeus in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, when they didn't really want to have their whole Passover celebration spoilt. You might remember the story. They're walking along the street, and they pass Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus starts shouting Jesus, and all they can do is turn around and say, look, shut up, be quiet, we're on our way to Passover. Don't disturb him. He's too important for you. They might have said things like, we're on our way to the holy city. We've no time for a blind beggar. Don't bother your master, you old beggar. We can't help you. It's got more important things to do than be bothered with you. But you catch the irony here. It's the religious group on their way to a religious festival who completely miss the will of God. And in this morning's story, it's the religious leaders who miss the whole point of the miracle. It's the religious leaders who are too wrapped up in the laws of the Sabbath. These same people will have heard Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, and yet they can't see what Jesus is planning to do. Even the healed man gives them the answers to their questions, and then what do they do? They don't listen. Ultimately, they throw him out. They're in the right place. They're hearing the right things but they've got the wrong hearts and they are completely missing the point. Going back to Helen Keller, she said, better to be blind and to see with your heart than to have two good eyes and do nothing. I'll put that another way. Better to be blind and appreciate God's message than to have two good eyes and completely miss the point. And then the third and final kind of blindness that I want to think about this morning is our potential blindness to those around us. Fairly recent statistics from Urban Saints, I sort of looked at these a few months ago, so I'm not sure how far back they went after that. But Urban Saints, if you've not heard of them, are an all-inclusive charity um, that work with young people in particular. And their statistics said... And take this with a pinch of salt, but in the UK, there's around 90% of young people who only know Jesus Christ as a swear word. Now, to put that into context, that would be around 9 million in the 5 to 18 age group, which would create a line of people from Land's End to John O'Groats three times shoulder to shoulder. Thinking closer to home here in Preston? Are we doing enough to reach out, not just to the youth, but to other people, to different generations, to people with different ideas to our own, people on the fringes, people outside these four walls? Or are we turning a blind eye because that's the easier option? Now, don't get me wrong, there are lots of great things going on in this church, and next weekend's mission event is just one example of the fantastic work that's going on, when you add to that toddler group, 
lunch club, prayer weeks, community choir, all the work that you do for children, for young people, for people in this community. And if I've left any groups out, I apologise, but I'm not a regular here, so it's not easy for me to work out everything that you do. But could we, could you, could I, could we do more? Is the work ever really finished? Going back to the statistic that I mentioned, how do we view our young people and our children here in Broadgate, in Preston? Do we value them as much as we could? Do we treat them as we would treat our own as mothers, as fathers, as parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts? What's the first thing they see when they walk through the door from us? Is it a smile or is it a frown? Do we take enough time to talk to them? Do we ask them how their week has been? Do we ask them what they're interested in? With so much pressure outside these days, shouldn't they feel that church is a safe and welcoming place, from the oldest teen to the smallest tot that tumbles around? Because after all, they are the future of the church. They're the future of this church. They're the future of Christ Church, where I'm curate. Without them, we have to ask, will there be a church in 30 years' time? And this isn't just a one-sided message, because I realise that the majority of them are through those double doors. Because we need them to talk to us as well. It's a two-way conversation. We need to let us help them to grow in faith and to share our wisdom, share our beliefs, but we can learn from them as well. Now, on your website, I did a little bit of investigation, a little bit of homework. There's a line about your church that you envisage being Christ-centred, spirit-led, and God-honouring. Nothing on there about being blind to people who are different to us. And I'm not saying you are, which is fantastic. Imagine you see someone driving a really big, expensive car. And then that instantly makes you think of them in a bad way. I'm guilty of this. But that car could have been a gift. Could have been a prize in a competition. We have to stop and realise that we might not always get the bigger picture with the people that we meet. Yet behind every person there is a story. And we need to take time to listen to that story and not be blind to it. Everyone here this morning will have a story of how they got to church. It might have been straightforward, or with one hour less in bed, it might have been an absolute nightmare. Whatever the case, well done for getting here, and for not being late. I was sort of half expecting a few people to walk in about now, but nobody's done it yet. So, But behind every person, there is a story that we might not see. There's a constant danger, too, that the world is so busy that people seem to have less and less time to actually sit down and consider the claims and the mission of Jesus. They become blind or blinkered. And I often wonder, why does the world not have enough time for God? Is it because it doesn't really believe in its heart of hearts that Jesus is the answer for this generation and the next generation and the generations to come after that? But there is hope. And I want to finish this morning with, with one of the Psalms and then a thought. So it's Psalm 78, verses 5 to 7, which gives us some hope and some good news. 
It says this, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. The author of this psalm is reminding us that what we do today isn't always just impacting on today. If we can get generations working more together, we're potentially impacting their future children and future generations after them, creating this ripple effect through time and into the future. As adults, we've got the resources that we need to find the answers that we're looking for, whether it be on a Sunday morning, listening to some stranger standing at the front, or through other ways during the week, if we don't find the answers straight away. If I've not given you an answer this morning, then take it further. Go and think about it. I've given you three things to think about. Go home, think about them during the week. Don't just leave it for a Sunday. We can actively grow our faith. But there are others who are like children, and some adults who are like children, who need to have those stepping stones given to them so that they're nurtured in their faith. And we, as Christian parents, Christian mothers, Christian fathers, can help nurture that growth. Not just on Mothering Sunday, or Mother's Day, as I called it wrongly at my church this morning and got told. So what do we do? What we do, who we reach out to, matters. Are we going to stand in the way of God's mission? By being like the followers who ignore those around us? Or are we going to be like the blind man? Are we going to recognize Jesus as the light of the world? Are we going to put ourselves in the fiery line? Are we going to get out of our comfort zone and trust the Holy Spirit to help us share what we believe? Amen.